This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. So here we are, season three of Driven by Data, the podcast. I'm delighted that you've decided to tune in and rejoin us. We've got some absolutely fantastic content coming your way. So all that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast season three. So today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Malcolm Hawker, who is the Head of Data Strategy for Prophecy. So Malcolm, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Kyle. We've traded so many uh, comments and (laughs) exchanges back and forth on LinkedIn over the last few months. I feel like I already know you, Uh, but no, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. No, no problem at all. Well, um, welcome to season three. Um, I guess where we always start, Malcolm, irrespective of what we're talking about, who the guest is or which season we're in, is an introduction into the guest's background and, I guess, journey up until this point in time, if uh, if you'd be so kind. Oh, my gosh. Well, the journey. Let's say it started, well, it started a long time ago. I've got a lot of gray hair. Like These are, these are earned gray hairs. I've, I've been in IT and technology for almost 30 years, and it sounds crazy to even say that. Um, I started my professional journey working for a little internet startup called America Online in 1995, uh, coming out of graduate school. I, I took a job in a call center making uh, $6.50 an hour, uh, answering technical support phone calls for AOL. Uh, and that was the beginning of a long journey into technology. I just, I just kind of fell down the technology rabbit hole. Uh, I did my first few years, and by few years, I mean probably decade and a half. <laughs> <laughs> uh, focused mostly on product management. Uh, I, I got to the point of being a chief product officer for, for a small uh, startup, um, software startup based out of Austin, Texas, where I lived for about 20 years before subsequently moving to where I am now in Florida, but had a, a really strong kind of background in, in product and understanding how to build things, understanding how to listen to customers, understanding how to translate customer needs and wants and desires into 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 software products, whether those were you know applications or maybe even often they were reports. Uh, coming out of my 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 long tenure at, at AOL, I started to do some consulting. I left AOL and started to consult back to my Rolodex, and I did a number of years uh, focused on kind of IT centric and software development centric uh, consulting. Uh, but one of the 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 kind of seminal moments, one of the the Perhaps my, my gateway into the data and analytics world was as, as a consultant, I was hired by this $2 billion publicly traded company to answer what I thought was just like the easiest question ever. Uh, my SOW, my statement of work was like basically one page and it said, uh, tell us how many customers we have. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, of, of course, but, but that was the, the engagement. I thought, oh, man this is going to be a slam dunk, right? Like I'll just go in, we'll build some dashboards. Yeah, I don't know what they're using at the time, business objects or something. It doesn't matter. Tab- I, mean, I don't even know if Tableau was available then. Didn't matter. But I was like, okay, we'll go build some dashboards. We may have to have to you know, bring some data into a warehouse, but this is, this is, this is, this is going to be a layup, right? Using a basketball metaphor. And, and man, I couldn't have been more wrong. 
Because what I encountered was, you know, the usual suspects, right? Low data quality, lack of data integration across systems, lack of any sort of formalized data governance at all, lack of any sort of approach around MDM. That was the biggest problem, which was they had these customers all over the place. And it was Acme, Acme Inc., Acme LLC, Acme Co. We'd run the report and we'd be five, we'd be looking at five versions of Acme. I was like, okay, well, wait a minute, which is the right one? So I would go talk to business leaders and they would all have a different answer <laughs> to that question. So to make a long story very short, that was kind of my entryway into the data and analytics world almost 20 years ago, uh, where I have stayed faithful ever since. Um, I, you know, I did some time as a consultant. I worked uh, for, for a data vendor, a company called Dun & Bradstreet, one of the biggest data providers in space. Which was which was fascinating because not only is is it data, but the, but their kind of their internal mechanisms, how they their their factory as as it were, how they make stuff is 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 all reliant on governance. It's it's in essence a giant master data repository is what it is like their their core product. Uh, so I did some time at at, at Dun and Bradstreet. Uh, my last job was as a data and analytics analyst at Gartner. So for the better part of three years, I was incredibly blessed to be able to talk to over 1,500 different companies about their data and analytics challenges. That was remarkably, amazingly eye-opening every day, all day to be talking with CIOs and CDOs about what's working, what's not working at governance, MDM, reporting, all those things. Uh, I'm now the head of data strategy at Prophecy. Um, Prophecy is an MDM software provider. We make uh, a fast time to value, easy to deploy, easy to use, uh, low, low cost, total cost of ownership MDM software. So we're trying to break the mold around MDM as being big and bulky and slow to value and, and hard to use. Um, so I'm the head of data strategy. But what that really means is my, my primary role is to build awareness around in, in the market writ large build awareness around the value of data and analytics, around the value of MDM, of governance, of data quality, about why you as a CIO or a CDO should care about being better around how you manage your data, why you should be focused on being data-driven. So that led me to meet you on LinkedIn and, and to meet a whole community of people on LinkedIn talking about data and analytics best practices, because that's really where I live and breathe. And, and what I'm trying to do is, is to take everything that I learned while I was a Gartner analyst, and and bring it forward into multiple channels, right? Into LinkedIn, into YouTube. I've got a podcast as well. Uh, you name it. Any way I can get the message out there about how to be more data driven, um, uh, the better. Yep, absolutely. No, well, uh, thank you very much for the uh, for the insight there. So I guess obviously time at Gartner um, that must have been that must have been fantastic just being oh. able to get into all of that because i guess this you know that that time for you has just brought up everything that the community that you're talking about now in terms of linkedin probably continues yeah. to talk about right you know and you get to kind of see and hear that real time um which is is fascinating so here's the question for you then based around that why in your opinion are there so few use cases where there have been you know resounding success with data and analytics initiatives? Boy, if I had all the magic answers <laughs> here, I, I, you know, one of the reasons why I left Gardner was because I found myself having the same conversations over and over and over again around talking to CDOs about the importance of linking um, your data initiatives to business outcomes, right? Uh, talking to CIOs about why it's important to 
be less technology centric and more business centric, right? These kind of basic blocking and tackling stuff, right? Like having conversations about don't let the, the consultants run rampant with your project scope. You focus on small deliverables, take an MVP approach. Like, I mean, these things over and over and over again. And what I saw was so few people do, we're doing it. I, I, would, I would have clients call me up and say, what do you think I need to do? And I, and I would say, okay, based on our, our, our years of research, based on the 1,500 conversations I've had in the last three years, based on everything that we know about what drives value, these are the things that you should do. And they would so often do the exact opposite. They, they would get into the three-year consulting SOW. They would take a more of a big bang approach. They would not take a kind of a small iterative MVP approach. They would fail to build a business case for their data and analytics initiatives. So I, I thought to myself, okay, there's got to be a better way, right? There's just got to be a better way. In, in Gartner, it was amazing, wonderful company, wonderful experience, but I was really kind of limited in, into you know, the channels that I could communicate. I was limited in the number of conversations I could have because obviously I was behind a pretty significant paywall and for good reason. But I, I thought to myself, okay, wait a minute, there's got to be more channels. There's got to be a better way. I was looking at, you know, like my friend, um, Scott Taylor. Scott Taylor and I go way back. We're, we're dear friends. We, we worked at Dun & Bradstreet together for a number of years. And I saw what he was doing. It seemed to be working a little, right? It's a little novel. It was a little different. Yes, sometimes he uses finger puppets. And sometimes he's a little irreverent. He may be a little silly. And, the, you know, the idea of teaching data and analytics best practices through a bedtime story may be a little silly. But it was working. It was different. And it's novel. And people are paying attention. So I figured, okay, there's got to be a, a better way. And that's what's led me to this position and to this conversation. But to answer your question, it's like, why are there so few data and analytics programs that, that are massive successes? Well, the short answer to the question is, is honestly, um, nobody knows what success looks like, right? And nobody, nobody's quantifying success. So the, to say that the data and analytics is not driving success, well, that, that, that assumes that you have some metric of success. Right. And what I see so often is success is defined through the lens of software deployment, technology deployment, right? Not through the lens of business outcomes. So that's the really kind of the, the high level answer. But even then, right, let, let's assume that you are a, a forward leaning CDO and you, and you actually build a business case. Um, I still think that there's a lot of headwinds there for a lot of CDOs because, because often I just don't see the incentives. Right, which is, are there, are there hard incentives that connect how a CDO or a CIO is actually rewarded, paid, right, to the delivery of those data-driven business outcomes, right? I, I was just, I just responded to a post earlier this morning and, and basically kind of alluded to this, which is, um, you know, in the, in, we, we can all talk a big game about being willing to fail and fast failing and being iterative and, and having growth mindsets. But how many incentive programs actually embrace failure, right? And, and how many bonus programs actually say, yeah, you get a 20% failure rate and, and we'll give you this much kind of wiggle room. So the short answer to the question is, you know, data and analytics programs generally are not linked to any sort of quantifiable business outcomes. And if they really, really are, are the incentives in place that link those outcomes to executive pay? I would love to see those changes. And I think if we can make those changes, we'd go an awfully long way. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So I couldn't agree more. I think what what I've witnessed through the hundreds and hundreds of conversations in this space over the last 12 years, Malcolm, is that often businesses start in the wrong place 
with all of this stuff, right? You know, you, like you talked about the technology first approach or, you know, five years ago when we were in the hype cycle of data science, it was, you know, businesses yeah. that had never done data before. They went out and hired a team of 15 data scientists with the the strategy in quotation marks of they must be data, they must be value here in this data somewhere. We'll hire these people, they'll find it for us. And as you say, it's never tied back to a business objective that they can say, well, if we do X, that means success. Yeah. So I guess I've been spending a lot of time thinking about this and having a lot of conversations, kind of trying to understand how, you know, where how do we tie all this back to get to a point where we can try to articulate a few key points or messages that try and drive some kind of tangible change. But what I'd, you know, love to know from you is who who's responsible for doing that? Right. Because often and uh, not yeah. to put you on not to put you on the spot yeah. uh, i don't want to you know get you lynched or anything but um i guess you know from my point of view we're in this place where we're constantly saying you know cdos are struggling to quantify and or articulate the value that their them and their teams are yeah. providing right yeah. but on the flip side of that coin you also have business leaders that you know um they are they're not data illiterate by any stretch but they just don't know what they don't know and often maybe to your point they are getting ill-advised on the starting point what that strategy should look like which often means they start in the wrong place as such they appoint the wrong type of person at that point to lead this thing yeah and then you get into that cycle of that person then can't quantify articulate the value that they've delivered and around and around we go in that circle. So at yeah. what point do we break this cycle and say, right, who is responsible for saying, right, what we do with data analytics need to tie to X? Yeah. Is that the business leader? Is that the CDO that comes in and gives that advice? Because I think that's where, if we can kind of get to a point where we understand what the mechanism is to l- understanding what the KPIs are for success, yeah. we're halfway there, right? But I think yeah. that's where we're falling down. Yeah, the short answer to the question is, is who's responsible for breaking the, the this kind of chain of dysfunction, right? Like this, this chain of a lack of accountability, this chain of a lack of connection between data and outcomes, who's responsible? The short answer, of course, is the CEO. Um, but that's a really, really easy answer. And honestly, I think in practice, so that's the theory, it should be the CDO and it should be a data-leaning and data-minded forward-leaning CEO that gets data. It's not just the pithy uh, you know, slogan like data is the new oil, but actually understands the value and where data is woven into the culture of, of woven into the fabric, pun intended, of the organization, right? It's the CEO that requires kind of visionary, brave leadership. It requires a CDO that is both a strategist and an operator, right? Um, and so few of them, so few of them are. But that's the short answer. The practical answer here, I think it falls to us. I think it falls to us as data leaders. I think it falls to us as CDOs, right? There's two, you you mentioned two sides of the same coin. It's one side of the coin is making sure that you have incentives, making sure that you have goals, um, targets that are tied to the delivery of business outcomes. And that is a very, very good thing because you can quantify them and you can show to the organization that you're driving value, right? That's one side of the coin. Yeah, and, and, and honestly, in today's organizations that have extremely low levels of data and analytics governance maturity, extremely low levels of data literacy, I hate that word, but we'll just use it for now, 
Um, most CDOs are walking into lion's dens, right? Most of the time they're walking into organizations that lack the cultural kind of mechanisms to it for CDO success, that lack the operating models that would support CDO success, that lack the skills to support CDO success. So I acknowledge that, that CDOs are, have, have their job cut out for them, most certainly. And that's most of the time they're walking into those organizations. Yet, it would still, I think, it behoove them to take that approach, right? To be a brave, bold, visionary leader to say, you know what, I'm only doing this if we can measure it. I'm only doing it if we can measure it. Now, the other side of that coin is you're not measuring it. So there's a certain degree of protection there, right? It's great to be able to say that you can prove that you delivered value. But on the flip side, if it's impossible to say that you didn't, and if you're working, if you're working in an organization that has all those things that I talked about, right? Low levels of maturity that has um, lack of accountability that kind of woven into the, the, the culture of the, in, in the DNA of, of the organization, lack of incentive structures around being more data driven. If you go into that environment, I can certainly understand a lot of leaders would say, hey, wait a minute, why am I going to walk all the way out on that limb, put myself out on that limb when there is clearly organizational dysfunction here, where there's clearly a lack of, of, of leadership, where there is clearly a lot of data fiefdoms, where there is all of these headwinds against me. Am I going to be the one that walks out on that limb and says, I will be data-driven. I will, I will tie my incentives to improving all of those things that we talked about, the operating model, the governance maturity, the, the, the corporate culture, the corporate the, the data literacy. Um, that takes a very unique and special and brave leader. I think we need to be those leaders. I think we need to do that. But at the same time, that is, that is, that's a lot to ask. Hmm. I think, obviously, given what we do day-to-day, in our business, I've seen a definite shift in a lot of data leaders now standing up and, you know, um, speaking to the fact that actually this isn't an environment where I can help you to be successful. And therefore, if you want me to help you Mm. to be successful, then here's what you need to do. I think the problem with that is often when those conversations happen, that advice may be very contradictory to what they've been advised to do by vendors, consultancies, et cetera, right? Now, it's not to say anyone's right or wrong here, but ultimately, all that tends to happen in that environment is the business leader doesn't really like what this person who's interviewing for the job has to say and then says, thanks, but no thanks. Right. And they go down the line until they take someone who's just willing to say, you know what? Yeah, I'll take it. Exactly and, right. And and then you fall into this back into this into this cycle. So I guess the the you know we're constantly talking about this, right? You know, how do we quantify the value? How do we articulate the value? Is it a challenge of being able to actually quantify it, or is it more how we articulate it, or is it both things together? It's both. It's both. I, I can't tell you how many times I, I had a conversation when I was at Gartner with a with a well-titled, well-compensated, incredibly intelligent data leader telling me it's impossible to quantify the benefits of better data. I've I've had the, I've had those conversations, and I would argue it is most certainly absolutely positively possible, right? I do acknowledge if you keep peeling the onion that there will be a little bit of art. It's not all science because what you're doing is building models, right? But if you're comfortable building a model that would say something like models customer demand or um, models uh, your sales forecast or any, any model, we, businesses run on models, right? If you're comfortable building models for these other things, maybe related to sales or marketing or finance, 
then you should most certainly be comfortable building a model that would say something to the effect of, if we improve our data accuracy 5%, that will have a 5% improvement on XYZ business process, right? Is it going to be perfect? No, it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be modeled, but it's, it's going to be modeled data, but you will, you, will, you will iterate and over and over and you will refine it and refine it and refine it. And in time, that model will get better and better and better. So I would argue it is not most certainly not impossible to measure the impacts of data, right? Um, so you know, can can that be measured? Yes. Can you uh, work within the organization to build these metrics? Yes, most certainly you can. So it, it's not it's most certainly not impossible. Uh, it, it's difficult and it's time consuming. Um, but but getting back to your, your your point about kind of the the kind of the breaking this chain. Right and and getting data leaders that are willing to go out there and 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 kind of be assertive and and breathe, be brave and you know I don't want to say take one for the team because that's not <laughs> there's not an appropriate metaphor here that's kind of what yeah. where, where my where my where my head was going but I can certainly understand a data leader saying okay you need to become more data driven you need to be up your your literacy game you need to up your governance game else else I can't work here. I think that I understand that, but at the same time, very few companies that I've spoken to over the last five years actually have relatively reasonable levels of those things. I think I think it's a pretty much a foregone conclusion that all potential CDOs will be walking into situations where those things are low. Now, the problem here is those fixing those things are years-long initiatives. You are not going to change a corporate culture overnight. You're not going to become data literate overnight. And saying this is a dependency of me taking the job is tricky, is difficult, is, is a difficult one. Even if you get a CEO to say, yes, we, we need to focus on governance. Yes, we need to focus on being more data literate. Yes, we need to change our corporate culture, break data fiefdoms, all these things. Even if you have a CDO say yes, you're still talking about a two to three year long initiative here. And, and they're not going to wait two to three years for you to deliver results. So, so you need to find a way to deliver those short-term results. It's, it's a both. It's the short-term results while you are working on those longer-term things that require incredibly high levels of collaboration and require ongoing air support from that CEO. Hmm. Yeah. You can measure data and you, and you can measure the impact it does on the business. I've seen it. I've done it. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah, I mean, I was at an event here in the UK um, a few months back and, um, you know, the, the panel discussion before the one I was speaking on, um, there was a conversation all around data and value. And yeah, someone basically said it's impossible. Um, and there was a big debate around, right. no, right. It's, it's not impossible. It's difficult. It's not impossible. Right. Um, just because, you know, and in some instances, as you know, right, there is a direct line of sight between this action yeah. with data and some kind of revenue cost reduction mis risk mitigation whatever um other times there's not but we need to be able to articulate the role that we played in that journey to that that point of value right and i think that was the the point but it it fascinates me because then you know those very same people sit there complaining that they're seen as a cost center Right, and it's like, well, <laughs> what do you expect? <laughs> well, it's 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 exactly right. I don't want to be a cost center, but at the same time, I don't want to do the work to show how I could actually enable revenue. But what you just described, uh, what I'm seeing now is there is a bit of a pendulum shift, and there always is in corporations, right? There's pendulum shifting back and forth. You described it one earlier about this shift towards AI, and AI is going to solve world hunger. 
10 years before that, it was Hadoop and big data that was going to solve world hunger. And now we pendulum shifts back. Um, but, 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 but I would argue that, you know, um, that you, you most certainly can do this. And if you don't want to be seen as a cost center, then you need to absolutely build and do the work to find how you are actually going to tr trigger revenue, right? But as a part of that pendulum shift, what I'm seeing is, is that uh, I'm seeing a lot of this out there, which is, aha, I'm not really going to do the hard work of, of building these models and understanding the connection between better data and um, you know, business outcomes. Uh, if I don't want to be a cost center, that means I need to be a revenue center, which means I need to have a data product. So I'm going to go build a data product and we're going to make data products and, oh, click, it's a data mesh. Look at that. <laughs> Everybody thinks that's a great idea. So let's go build some data products and get into these kind of navel gazing discussions about really what is a data product. Oh, my goodness. Uh, that, that's like that's like the ship that launched a thousand rabbit holes on, on LinkedIn. These conversations around what's a data product? Is it a field or is it a, is it a group of fields or is it an attribute or is it meta? just like, oh. Honestly, you know, you know, that's crazy. So I, th I personally think what I've seen from this, Malcolm, is that the concept of treating data like a product has driven better adoption from the business because of the way that people think about it, you know, Love and the, the, the rigor around how products should be treated, which you'll know very well about because you was a chief product officer, right? Which probably now I'm thinking about it is probably why you've been very successful. Um, however, I think we we ran a so we host quarterly roundtable events and one of them was the one of the topics was you know data product versus data as a product versus data products because there's all these different analogies and it's like is there any difference what are they honestly it was just like all oh, hell right. broke loose in the room like you know no no that's that's not I'd, I'd, that's not a data product that's data as a product and i'm gonna, <laughs> i'm trying to i'm trying oh, to keep up right. going, what? yeah yeah i i saw this yesterday um uh, on a conversation around, you know, well, we really shouldn't say data driven. We should say data informed. Like, oh my goodness. Okay, so there, there, there. I find this very, very interesting, right? And it's, it's like, it's kind of like putting a Rubik's cube in front of an engineer. They can't resist, right? If you put a <laughs> Rubik's cube in front of an engineer, they're going to try to fix it, right? And if, and if you put a bunch of words in front of a, a data and analytics people. They, they will, they will, analytics being the key word here is we're analysts, right? Pe people like us, people like me, we're analysts and we start analyzing is, well, what does this word mean? And what does that word mean? And what does this word mean? And maybe this word means something different than that word and, and, and on and on and on. So, uh, uh, you know, if a friend of mine uh, online, well, an ex-Gartner peer of mine, uh, extremely smart guy, Doug Laney calls it semantic pedanticism. He actually came up with a word for it or a phrase for it, semantic pedanticism. And I love it. I, I think that that should be, you know, when 2023 comes along, hopefully Webster's will say, you know, the new business buzzword of 2022 was semantic pedanticism. And I will attribute it to Doug Laney uh, because there's way, way, way too much of that stuff. And it's not that it's just like time wasting. Um, and it's not that it's, you know, maybe these things are relevant. Maybe they're not relevant. I, I don't know to us data people. But I can tell you, Kyle, with 100% certainty, business people just don't care. Mm -hmm. Data mesh, data fabric, I don't care. Solve my problem. Right? Mm -hmm. You do the how. And honestly, I don't need to know how the sausage is made. I really don't need to know how the sausage is made as long as it's made and my belly is full. You can call it, you can call it Fred. I don't <laughs> care. 
And 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 you know what? If there's differences between Fred and Sally or fabric and the mesh and 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 data driven and data informed, keep that to yourself. But that's yeah. the problem: is that we don't. Yeah. We make powerpoints and we do presentations and we put stuff in front of senior executives, and senior executives are looking at this stuff and they're saying, "Okay, wait a minute." Um, I heard 15 years ago that Hadoop was going to solve all of my problems. I heard 10 years ago that data science was going to solve all, all of my problems. I invested in millions and millions and millions into Hadoop, and it didn't. We invested millions in hiring overpaid data and, un, and underqualified data scientists, and it didn't solve my problems. And now you're telling me that I need to invest in this thing, this data mesh, and I'm hearing this thing, this data fabric. I don't know what this is, but man, um, it, it seems like a bit of Groundhog Day to me. Yeah. 100%. So I think I've been fairly vocal about the whole semantics of this. And, and this has happened in some of the events that we've hosted, right, where the, you know, arguing is too strong of a word. But, you know, I, I don't like data driven because of X, Y and Z. Right. And I think right. data enabled makes it seem a bit more, you know, like this or like that. And I'm just like, business business leaders, they, they, they couldn't care less. Right what you right. call it like, like the right. you know the, the right. nuances of the words do not matter to them right so yeah. it's uh it's interesting but um i mean we could we could talk in loops about this stuff all day malcolm so i'm conscious of getting to the the meat of the topic which is obviously oh we around. haven't been in the meat no we no not well oh no, that, was the, just, that was the that was, that was the appetizer appetizer yeah um so so literacy right and i want to get to the oh, whole thing yes. around okay. literacy okay. but before we get there right so a few more questions that will probably help us to frame this so Seemingly, we've had, and, and you'll know better than anyone, right? You know, this stat around 85% of data analytics projects fail to deliver value they're expected to deliver or something. I think mm -hmm. that was a Gartner thing, right? It was probably you who, who did that. So, <laughs> um, but so in that case, then, before we get to the point of literacy and the reason we're kind of going down the river with literacy here is because culture, literacy, they're the things that were cited, right, as the reason that's yep. as the blocker, right? Before we get there, with all of this failure, or in quotation marks, you know, eighty-five percent not delivering the value they're expected to to deliver. Why? Why are business leaders still so invested, still investing so much money into all of these data-related projects and initiatives, but yet? Are still almost and i don't know whether they are settling or not but seems like they're settling for the fact that we can't tell them what they're getting for that <laughs> why why do they keep putting up with us yeah in our, basically. Dis in, in, in our dysfunctional relationship <laughs> yeah um what yeah why do they keep funding our bad habits um enabling us perhaps is, is another word <laughs> i mean i i think i think because most of the time being more data driven or data informed or data whatever um and investing in data and analytics and investing in uh, better data management and investing in data quality, it passes the smell test. It always passes the smell test, right? Like, like it, who in the world would argue against better data quality? Who in the world would argue against appropriate controls over data, right? It's, it's kind of like Mideast Peace. Everybody will say, yeah, I want some of that. I'll get, I'd, I'd like better data quality. I, I would. I would like to have a 360 degree view of my customers. I, I would. I would like to have more informed models that can predict when my machines are going to break. All, all of these things are, are, are data related, and they all pass the smell test, right? So, 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 and there, there are here and there, there are success stories, right? There, there are 
plenty of success stories where we can say, hey, this enabled this. This, this focus on data allowed us to scale this process, right? There are plenty of examples. The, the, the pithy example from, from, from COVID um, that I used, I was using when I was a, a data analytics analyst at Gartner was, was Nike. They transitioned from like 10% direct-to-consumer sales to over 40% direct-to-consumer sales in the middle of the pandemic, right? So how did a company pivot from practically zero direct-to-consumer sales to, to a business model that is increasingly focused on direct-to-consumer? Well, you'd have to know who your consumers are. You'd have to have relatively decent control of your supply chain, over your logistics, over all of your core operations sitting underneath that is data. I saw this when, when I was an analyst during COVID. I thought for sure people would run away from data during COVID. They ran to it. Our phone was ringing off the hook at Gartner because companies were rightfully saying, okay, wait a minute here. Our business models are inherently changing. Customer needs are changing. Supply chain chains are changing. And I need to press the accelerator. And when I press it, I need the engine to respond. And if our data is bad, the engine isn't going to respond. So we need to keep investing in this stuff. And then we'll go hire you know, the bad leaders and do bad things. <laughs> but, but, but separate issue, it always passes the smell test. And there's plenty of examples out there when companies do do it well. So conti companies continue to invest in it. Mm. Yeah. Rightfully, okay. I would say rightfully, because we do know through all of our research that when you do it right, when you get it, when, when you focus on best practices, the returns can be immense. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely agree. You mentioned best practices there. So there's obviously a lot of industry leaders and influencers and authors and keynote speakers, people that have been there, done that, etc. that obviously keep, keep making the same recommendations around we shouldn't do yeah. this and we should do this and you know you shouldn't do that yeah. you should think about this instead um for cdos and data leaders and all that stuff and it over and over and over and over again um but that never seems to actually happen <laughs> why 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 is that in your opinion uh you, it, it goes back to the first question, which was, I, I just don't think there's enough connection there between investments in data and actually what they, those investments drive for the business. And, and having the incentive models in place to support investing in data and to support experimentation around data. Um, I, I do think that some of the ways that we impart our best practices are a little preachy, right? I, I think how we do it comes across as a little finger wavy at, at, at times. Yeah. Um, and that's why I'm attracted to, as we just mentioned Scott Taylor earlier, but I'm attracted to finding new ways to bring these messages to my customers, meaning CDOs, CIOs, CEOs, others making important decisions about investments in data without being finger wavy. Because I've been on the other side of the table. I don't want, I don't want anybody to finger wave to me. I just want you to make me sausage that fills my belly, right? Mm -hmm. And, and tell me and show me, quantify to me how I, I, I go from A to B. Right and and tell me what you need to do in order to get there, um, and 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 recognizing that there may be some pretty big lifts along the way, but but don't be finger wavy and don't be preachy. And I do think sometimes uh, we can be that way, right? Yeah. It's the kind of like what don't these business leaders get, right? Like I've been saying this stuff for years and nobody's listening to me. Well, they they must they must be you know there, there's some sort of failing on their behalf. No, the failing is on our behalf. We need to find better ways of bringing these messages, different ways of bringing these messages. The core fundamentals here, Kyle, are, are good. These are best practices, right? And we've mentioned some of these ad nauseum, and we continue to mention them in terms of like measuring the impacts 
of investments in data, quantifying the business benefit of data quality or data governance of MDM, whatever those things are. These are basics that are not going away. These are best practices for a reason because they work. I do think a lot of this has to do with, you know, kind of structural issues related to incentives and, and related to compensation and other issues. But I do think a lot of it has to do with how we bring that message and how we impart that message. And this does kind of dovetail into literacy, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Makes, uh, yeah, makes perfect sense. Okay. So literacy then. 85% of data analytics projects fail to deliver the value that they were expected to deliver. Um, Gartner research from a few years back now, was it? Something like that. Um, there's, there's been, there's been plenty of them. We did, <laughs> we did, we did one as a part of the Magic Quadrant uh, for MDM two years ago that said 90% of data leaders could not uh, quantify the benefit of investments in MDM. So, I mean, pick, pick your data point. There's, yeah. I mean, there, <laughs> yeah. there, there's, there's lots. Fine. So. The the thing around the cultural piece fascinates me, yeah. and in particular, then its relationship with literacy in quotation yeah. marks, because I guess those kind of two were almost, you know, shoved together in terms of we've got a cultural yeah. problem because no, you know, the business leaders aren't listening, the business users aren't adopting, um, and that is because they are not data literate, right? So that that yeah. was kind of almost coined with the same, the same problem, so to speak. So, in your opinion, then. What's the truth in that, or you know, or not, as the case may be? And then, what is that relationship between being able to be data driven, or informed, yeah. or enabled, or whatever the case may be? Um, have that type of data driven culture and the relationship with literacy. I think data literacy is a load. <laughs> I think a focus on data literacy is completely backwards. Let's assume I'm making something. Let's assume I make a widget. It's this thing. It's this little remote control, maybe whatever. Maybe it's an iPhone. It doesn't matter. Let's assume that I make that. Let's assume that I launch that. Let's also assume that our customer support line keep, starts blows up. People start calling back. Let's assume that our return rate, our refund rate, just is, is, is crazy. We're, we're getting all these things sent back. Let's, let's assume that our, our, that, that our our, our launch is a dismal failure. Nobody adopts the product. Nobody's using the product. When they do try to use the product, they get stuck and they end up calling an 800 number for support or they end up blowing up our online FAQs. Would the product manager of that thing say, oh man, we got a product literacy problem here? Would they? No, they never would. They never would. What they would say is, man, how did we miss the mark? Right? How did how did we miss the mark? How did we how did we how did we so so blatantly miss that the the customer are using the product in a different way, or we're looking for some different outcome, or we're using it in some process or, or some other means that 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 prohibited them from getting value from it? Man, we dropped the ball on that. We need to do a better job of listening to our customers. We need to do a better job of understanding how they integrate our product into their daily lives. We need to do a better job of understanding. What what it actually is that they want, and instead of blaming them, and 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 th this is you know, can we do a better job of training around data? Can we do a better job of helping the under the business understand why they should be focused on data? Of course we can, but saying that it is a business problem 
that is it a, it's a problem related to literacy, which is a completely loaded term in and of itself, right? I would, if, if we had to use a term, I would, I would prefer data fluency. I would just prefer to not have any at all, right? I would prefer to couch this through the lens of a kind of a product training and product release and go to market failure, right? Kind of going back to my, my roots as a, as a product person, I would consider that a massive go to market and massive product failure. Right. If if people were unable to use my product, people didn't get any value from my product. If people were questioning how it worked or how it didn't work, then I would view that as a failure of mine, not a failure of them. And this this is this to me, this is the biggest problem with data literacy, which is it turns the table. It doesn't it it it, it stops us as data and analytics leaders from saying, how are we missing the mark? What do we need to do better to say what do they need to do better? And it creates an adversarial position between us and them, which I think is a big part of the problem that data and analytics leaders face today. I would love to flush data literacy completely while acknowledging at the same time, there are cultural barriers within organizations that we face most certainly, that there are um, resource and skills and, and, and gaps that we most certainly face. There are communications hurdles that we most certainly face within most and a lot of a large organizations. There are organizational hurdles, structural organizations in terms of reporting changes. These are all things that are valid. But this idea of data literacy to me is smarmy. It is confrontational. And it, as far as I'm concerned, it needs to go away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're starting to see now many, um, many conversations around, you know, no data leaders need to be more business literate or data teams need to be more business literate right so it's kind of, it's kind of like well, just right. created a, a kind of you know combustion of of two sides now that are you know seemingly fighting is probably too strong of a word but you get my point well right and you know i i know the people at, at gardner who are flying the literacy flag right i mean there were, there were peers of mine for years right i know the people who are writing about this incredibly intelligent, incredibly smart, incredibly passionate people, right? Alan Duncan being one of them at Gardner, who's kind of, who is, who is behind a lot of the literacy research. But I, I do think that you can have two things be truth at the same time. I think you can have literacy being a, a slightly smarmy, slightly confrontational, condescending term. I think that can be true while at the same time acknowledging that organizations do face cultural challenges and they do face knowledge gaps and they do face some of these other issues. Both can be true. As a data and analytics leader, I know the one thing that I need to do is to reduce drag. It's to reduce friction in an organization. And if I can do that by simply changing a word, I'm going to do it, right? Because I've got enough stuff piled up against me. I've got enough forces that are working against me rather than having words as a part of my programs that make their make make the users of my products feel lesser than mm, yeah it's interesting because i think you know there's been many a conversation that has almost <clears throat> tried to frame this whole data literacy initiative as you know the fundamental missing piece to the whole data analytics success story right you know if we if we figure out this literacy piece we're fine we're golden we're on we're on the journey and i don't think that's the case well it, it may actually be the case ironically it may be the case but what i'm saying is is the frame shift your mindset change your perspective as this being a user problem to a product problem put your money where your mouth is if you're talking about becoming more product driven 
integrating data as a product, integrating product management expertise and disciplines into your data organization. Put your money where your mouth is. And if you do that, if you start looking at data really as a product, right, as where you have product managers who are passionate about meeting customer need, that will solve your literacy problem because you will have FAQs, that you will have customer support, you will have a deep understanding of how your customers are driving business benefit from the products that you create. Your literacy problems will go away. So I do think, Al, that, that literacy may be the, the problem here, but instead of saying literacy, I think what you could say is, is if we truly honestly figure out a way to deeply integrate product management as a discipline into the data and analytics organization, that we will solve some of these problems. Hmm. Do you think then that relationship with culture, and you've mentioned that there is, you know, without a doubt, some kind of cultural barriers, but when you're talking about data and products, um, there's, there's now this conversation around, you know, is is this a cultural thing in terms of lack of adoption or is this a design thing, which I think you're kind of touching <laughs> on there, right? You know, are, are the things that we are designing, are the products that we're building, are they designed to be adopted yep. as easily as possible by the people who we hope will adopt them? Or, you yep. know, is it a, you know, fluency literacy problem as part of the culture? It's a real interesting debate, right? It is an interesting debate. Um, what I've seen is um, a disconnect, right? So you, the question you ask is this, is this a cultural issue? Um, let, let's assume maybe you missed the mark uh, from, from a product perspective, or, or, or you feel like you've got a literacy problem, a literacy problem, uh, and, and you view that culture is at the core of that. Anytime, to me, anytime culture comes up where the rubber kind of seems to meet the road often, is and, and this is exactly why the data mesh was created, by the way. I don't want to put words into Zamok's mouth here. Um, she has a book to explain herself, but but I would argue where the rubber meets the road here from a culture perspective, it almost always comes down to decentralization versus centralization. Top down, bottom up, right? Like, like I want the freedom within marketing to have the reports that reflect how my business works, right? Versus somebody above me saying the reports need to look a little bit different and need to adhere to our single version of the truth because we want to look at the world through the way that revenue is recognized versus how sales are booked, right? Centralization versus decentralization. And having there be a conflict there is a cultural issue, right? Because what I see over and over and over again, CEOs, CDOs are given mandates to generally solve for more centralized problems, right? Because a lot of the value of governance and a lot of the value of better data management actually flows up right? A lot of the best value, the greatest value is at more cross-functional levels, but the cost of this stuff, the cost of implementing stewardship, the cost of managing data is born at very, very low levels of the organization. Again, a slight conflict, right? So conflicts naturally exist, centralization versus decentralization. Conflicts naturally exist in terms of who pays the cost of governance versus who gets the benefit of governance and all these things. So there's this accordion, uh, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, decentralization versus decentralization. Aha, let's just fully decentralize. It will solve world hunger. We'll move on, no problem. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't ever solve for world hunger. There's no, there's no silver bullet here. You need to do both because both views are accurate. That decentralized view, that marketing-centered view is 100% accurate for the way that marketing does business, but that centralized view is also accurate for the way that the corporation at large does business. You got to solve for both. It's not a trade-off. 
you absolutely positively have to solve for both. Now, the hard problem here is, is that companies have a hard enough time just solving for one of them, <laughs> right? And if you've got two or three, this is what Gartner would call adaptive governance. This, this notion that you can manage data different ways by different contexts. This, is, this does actually align with, with the domain centricity of a mesh where you can have this domain, this domain, this domain, this domain. Set of business rules, set of business rules, set of business rules, set of business rules. Sounds great. Everybody can just write their own rules, but if you need to try to figure out how many customers do I have because your CEO is asking the question, there can only be one answer, right? Not to mention the fact that now you went from, you know, maybe you were fully centralized, you implement, voila, the data mesh, and now you've got five or six different sets of business rules. That gets pretty complex pretty quickly, particularly if you have to share data across those domains. So culture most certainly does play a role here. And it almost always kind of manifests itself in how much flexibility do you have from, from a decentralized perspective versus how much control is there from a centralized perspective. And it's not an either or, you got to do both. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Well, <clears throat> conscious of time, Malcolm, but there's a few things that I want to touch upon um, that I know you've been quite vocal about on on <laughs> platforms like LinkedIn Me? and as, and as no. such. Um about you know the future um, yeah. and where we're heading and all of that yeah. type of stuff. Um, data sharing is yeah. a real big topic at the moment. I keep hearing that being brought up time and time again. Why why is that going to be, in your opinion, uh, important in I guess the quest to prove that data yeah. analytics is valuable? Yeah. Um, well, I think it goes a little bit farther than that, but probably a separate conversation because I think I think if you open Pandora's box to sharing. <laughs> then you inevitably in the future here will get into more of a blockchain enabled world. And yes, I, I said it, blockchain. Uh, and, and people are like, oh, blockchain. Yeah, it's like, oh, no, it, it's real. It's coming and it will revolutionize data management. However, data sharing, let's, talk, let's, let's, let's start there. Um, what I saw through a seven year plus long career at Dun & Bradstreet, a three year career at Gartner and God knows how many other years of managing data. What I have seen across companies and I've spoken to literally thousands of them is that for certain sets of data, certain sets of data, particularly reference data and particularly master data, uh, a lot of this data is managed largely the same way, right? Over and over and over and over again. So look at an individual company. That company exists as a silo. That company has governance rules. That company has stewards. That company has data where it's being persisted and managed that costs from an infrastructure perspective. And they've got a record for, their, maybe their B2B, they've got a record for Acme Incorporated, right? And that very next company next to them has also got a record for Acme Incorporated. Down here, Acme Incorporated, Acme, Acme, Acme. I'd be willing to bet, I wouldn't know this because I have no secret sauce here, but if you look into the databases of, let's say, a large technology provider, maybe like a Salesforce or an Oracle or an IBM, what you would see is rampant data duplication. And not just data duplication, but process duplication of how data is being managed, governed, and stewarded. And it's being done over and over and over and over and over again, largely the same way. That record for Acme Incorporated needs stewardship. It needs business rules. It needs all of these things. And I would argue if you can Google it to get information about Acme and to know where the Acme headquarters is and know me how many employees that Acme has, that that's maybe not the greatest value from a value-add perspective, from a governance and stewardship perspective. Maybe there's a better way. If MDM in and of itself within an organization 
the sharing of data across functional lines, marketing, sales, finance within an organization creates economies of scale. And that's exactly what MDM does. It creates economies of scale. If that happens within an organization, why couldn't that happen across thousands of organizations? For certain data, not all data, I'm not talking about your transactional data, your contract data, any of the data that you view as being truly a differentiator from a competitive perspective, but data that is arguably low value that's being managed largely the same way over and over and over and over again. Why can't we share that? We can mm-hmm. share uh, taxi cabs, we can share our apartments, we can share empty space in our garages, we can share all sorts of things these days that we never thought we'd ever share. Why can't we be sharing some of this data in more of a shared asset, right? So data sharing is a bit of a loaded term. It it means just about anything to all people. I had a LinkedIn post about this. It is very, very poorly defined. Um, It could mean things like data monetization. It could mean things like data for good. It basically means anytime you've got data in, in one pile and you move it to a different pile, even if that's internally or externally. So I would argue data sharing is incredibly poorly defined largely because Gartner defines it as a very broad, very generic catch-all, um, separate conversation. But I believe that from a data management perspective and governance quality perspective, there are incredible economies of scale that exist when we, as a broader community of companies, get together to potentially start managing some of this shared data in a more collective way. Because the costs will go down drastically right? But where there, where there will be incremental benefits, where I honestly truly believe that there could be a two plus two equals five here from an economies of scale perspective to be managing some of this shared data in a more collective way. I'll give you a very, very grassroots example of this. When I was at Gartner, I get asked all the time, what does good look like? Right? I, I get asked that all the time. And the answer is, the, the correct answer today is, I can't really tell you that you need to establish your data standards, your data quality standards. You need to establish what good looks like for your organization, then you need to measure against it, and then you'll know whether it's good or bad. And, and you need to measure that against some sort of desired business outcome. And if the data supports the business outcome, well, then you'll know the data is good. Well, we know that nobody measures the impact the data has on business outcomes. So putting that aside, if, if a MDM vendor or any other large software vendor could look horizontally across its customer set. If it had the legal right to do it, I know there's some pearl clutching happening right now in terms of being looking across horizontally across instances of, of any large software vendor. But if you could look across and see all of those instances of Acme Incorporated, you could pretty quickly, just like that, put together some metrics and maybe they're anonymized and maybe they're just aggregated that doesn't say who actually has Acme Incorporated in the database. You could say pretty quickly, Ah, aha, uh-huh. you're, you're at a 70% quality for your data right now. And you rank number 35 out of your industry 100 companies in terms of the overall quality of your B2B data. Hmm. That would not be that hard, right? And, it, and it's a small microcosm of a sharing type experience where what you would say is, oh, okay, I will give you, I will share the phone book version of my information about Acme. The data that's out there, you can Google it. It's widely available. It's in all over the place. I'll share that. And if everybody shared it pretty quickly, you could look across all of those and figure out when is something accurate, when is something inaccurate, even by applying just some very basic data quality and business rules to it. Mm, So that's data share. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Malcolm, look, I'm conscious of time um, because we're almost up. But look, for the audience, um, you can find Malcolm 
on LinkedIn. Um, he's definitely not easy to uh, to miss. miss. And um, yeah, writes article for Forbes and all of this type of stuff. So definitely follow him. Um, Malcolm will obviously tag you into all of the social promotion when this goes live. Um, but I'd just like to thank you very much for coming on the show and, and giving up your time. Thanks, Kyle. Really appreciate it. Keep the faith. We're Absolutely. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week. <laughs>